0: This is episode number 31 with our guest, Samantha St. Marie. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there guys, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the studio. You are tuned in directly, not indirectly, but directly to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. You know that, you also know I am your host, Josh Carey. My guest today is is a case study really for never settling for less than what you want, for following your passions and for building the exact life you want. And really, who doesn't want all of those things in their lives? I know I do. So while many of us will say we want that and even strive for it, my guest found a way to obtain that for herself. You know the drill. She's worked for people who take advantage and deplete your passion. And she said no more. Today, she is the owner and founder of Red Rock Content. As a digital marketer and writer, She helps clients write that book or start that blog. In other words, if there are content needs in your business, she is your gal. Does anyone really say gal anymore? Is that that actually the good right word? But she is. uh, And even more impressive is how she got where she is today. We are going to learn all about this road, all about this journey. We're going to learn all about my guest. Help me welcome one of the coolest names in the biz. It's Samantha St. Marie. How's it going, Samantha?
1: Oh, it's going so good. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Your name, Samantha St. Marie. Did you marry an aristocrat? What is that saint thing in the middle there?
1: Well, apparently, it does mean that there is some kind of ancestor who was a saint and because there's an e at the end she was a female
0: (laughs) Mm, because it is it is uh, saint as in s-t-e is it true that that that's the only correct way of spelling the name it's never s-a-i-n-t
1: well that's the only correct way to spell my name yes but i do know that there are some people out there that have the last name saint and spell it s-a-i-n-t but no, you can't spell my name that way. Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> I see. So you are Samantha St. Marie. You're the founder of this Red Rock content. And um, I only know right now a small fraction. And uh, I, I love, I, I love all this because I, I come from my, you know, my, my, my past Life, self uh, was you know waist deep in digital marketing, and even more so, even before that, I spent many years as an actor, filmmaker, and I just took to writing. I love, appreciate, and respect the writing uh, industry. When did you first put pen to paper? As far as back as you can remember.
1: Oh my gosh! Okay, um, it, it's it's got to be. I'm going to probably say, oh, oh my gosh, maybe I was six years old. Maybe, maybe that's around the time. I remember when my mom wrote me a kid's book. She used to read to me all the time, but then she decided that she wanted to write her own kid's book so that I could just have something that she wrote. And then I think that's when I decided that I wanted to write something myself. And I actually did between the ages of probably six and 10, I wrote my own kid's book. And I sent it to a publisher at 10 years old. I sent it to a publisher and they offered to publish it. But my parents said no, because they wanted me to have a, you know, a, a real kid experience. So and then it was on an old computer and it it got lost. So that's that's sad. But Mm. yeah, I'm talking, I was very, very, very young. Small child, small child. So
0: they so they wanted you to have um as as you put in air quotes, a real kid experience. Um from that moment, was their wish fulfilled? Did you have that real kid experience from that moment on? Because you know they're only looking out for you, right?
1: I sure did. I sure did. I, you know, had all the birthday parties. I went to school. I fought with my siblings and now here we are.
0: <laughs> I I I I like that whole aspect of a real kid experience because I um I currently have two real kids of my own, my uh, amazing 5-year-old daughter Danica, incredible 3-year-old son Harrison. Couldn't love them more. I mean I'm actually court ordered. I cannot love them more <laughs> um, but um, so I always go back and forth with my wife. you know, we sometimes butt heads in that you know she wants to raise them as by the book, real kid experience. And I just have sometimes a a time where I'm looking at them, they might not want to do something or wear something or go somewhere that really isn't make or break life or death big deal as I see it. So I'm like, okay, so why don't we just do this instead? And she's like, no, we have to, you know, and then, so it's like that, that whole dichotomy of how do you raise them?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Great names, by the way. Great names for children. Love those. Love those. But yes, it was very much a you're too young to start publishing stuff because if it goes well, then they'll ask you for another one. And then, you know, I don't know. It was a it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Plus, there was I don't know. Growing up, they always wanted everything to be even between my siblings and I. So if I ever did something, they wanted my brother and sister to be able to do it as well. They wanted us all to have equal childhood experiences. So, you know, that wasn't fair. I don't know. But yes, so that's, that's how I lost out on my my, my, my children's book publishing deal, I guess.
0: (laughs) So you are a, um, but, but today, I mean, you could always go back to that, right? So today you're, yeah, you're a, you're a writer and you have your own company where you help clients. Like I said, either, either write that book or the blog or any sort of writing needs. Um, so you, you came from a more corporate world, that's what I'm guessing, right? Into this and said, forget all this, I'm now going full force into my passion. Yes,
1: absolutely, that's exactly what happened. I started Red Rock Content when I was in university going on five years now, I think it's been. And it was just one of those side hustles. I was working with other students and then I moved on to working with small businesses and then I just continued doing it on the side because I really enjoyed it. Then I got into the corporate world and I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I'm very grateful for my time in the corporate world, all the people that I got to meet, the verbiage that I learned, all the skills that I acquired. Um, But it was one of those situations where you walk in Monday morning and 20 minutes later, you walk out and you have no, you have no idea why you've been let go. Absolutely no idea why. It was just, you walk in and walk out and you're done. And, uh, I got home and I just decided, all right, well, I'm going to officially put my company out on the internet. Cause at that point I couldn't, cause it interfered with my other job. And, it, you know, by, I went in at nine, was home by 9:30, And then my company was online with a website and everything by noon. I was just, I was, I just said, that's it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. And here we are. And
0: that's. So, so so if I, um, I'm gonna focus on the, the book writing for a minute because I know um, you also ghost write in that world. So <laughs> if I come to you and I say, you know, I, I don't really know specifically, but I feel there's a book inside me. Is that mm-hmm. how a client with you can get started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a a mix of different clients. So I work with a publishing company as well. So they have clients that want to write books and then we work together. But I also have clients that want to write, you know, guides that they can use as lead magnets for their business, you know. um, And then again, creative books, like you've just mentioned, they have a story to tell, but they don't want to write it or they don't know how to write it. So we go through a process that I have come up with so that we can make sure that, you know, the book gets from beginning to end. It's very coherent. It's very fluent and people will actually want to read it. So if somebody has a story they want to tell or if they want to use it for their business as well, that's, yeah, both those options are definitely something that I do.
0: What I love about all this is like I said a little earlier, I, part of me is, is a writer. I, I can, that, that resonates with me. I understand it. I do it. But I know that that's such a broad statement because there are so many varieties and aspects and kinds of writing. Where do you generally see yourself? What style, what elements of writing do you Mm -hmm. love?
1: So I would say that my specialty is in corporate business writing. I normally my content is geared towards company CEOs or leaders in HR, it, it, things like that. So very high level writing that appeal to people who are thinking 10 steps ahead and they don't really care what anybody has to say. You know, they just kind of want to get stuff done and they have people to help, etc. So that's and uh, that's kind of where i play and a lot of my clients are those kinds of people, you know, high-end business coaches that teach CEOs, things like that. But i also play in, you know, some of the creative areas. I work with a lot of nutritionists as well, things like that. So it's it's a it's a wide mix, but the bulk of my work has been very high-level corporate content that is aimed at people who are, you know, handling dozens and dozens and dozens of employees and working with millions of dollars on a daily basis. So that's kind of where I end up playing most of the time.
0: With with no sense of modesty, what qualities or traits allow you to, to be this extraordinary writer? What do you have? What do you need to possess to make that a reality?
1: Well, you definitely have to keep Student mentality. I'm. I am not. I, I. I. I don't even like to say that I'm an expert in my field because I will never be an expert one hundred percent. I know that there are things that I can always learn, and that, you know, I could be talking to an intern at you know, a, a random company and they could teach me something. It's it's just being open to talking to absolutely everybody and learning absolutely everything you can and really taking that and applying it to every piece of content that you write and making sure that you go out and you read the things that your target audience is reading on a daily basis. If they care about that, then you need to apply that to your own content. So really, it's that student mentality, going out and finding more information and really wanting to know that information as well. It's not just about the research, it's, I want to know this information because I want to help you. So it's it's more... I'm doing this so that I can help me help you. That's very cliche, but it works.
0: <laughs> I agree. How do you know what you're putting out, what you're delivering, what you're giving to a client is good? Isn't writing so subjective? How do you personally you know, sign off on it and say, this is it?
1: It's a very collaborative process. So when I work with a client, we, it's not as if they just tell me the story they want to write and then I write it and they don't touch it. It's a very collaborative process. So there are some people out there that don't want to have anything to do with the process and those are not the people that I choose to work with. I want somebody who is very dedicated to the process as well. So, you know, we, we talk about what the book is going to be about or what their content is going to be about. I need to know, key points that they want to hit. We create an outline together for a book. We kind of talk about all the different chapters and then I will have a, you know, let's say a weekly call with them and that weekly call is reserved for a specific chapter. We discuss the chapter and then I turn everything that we've discussed into the content. So by the end of it, everything that's gone into this book has actually come directly from them but I have just turned it into something fluent and cohesive that people will read. And while some people don't necessarily have the time to do that, it definitely cuts down on the back and forth and the editing that has to go in and the taking out and rewriting things that might potentially happen. If you do just say, I want to write a book about how to teach CEOs to retain their salespeople, okay, great, but what does that look like to you? Let's talk about that. So it's, it's very collaborative. We work together. And then by the end of it, they have had quite a hand in creating it. So by the end, it definitely is a product that they're proud of because they've seen the progress from beginning to end.
0: So cool. I want to connect the dots with all of this. Take us back to the very beginning. Samantha, as a child growing up, what was that home life like as a young child?
1: So, um, I I have two siblings. My sister, she's she's now in her early twenties. My brother is just about to turn twenty. Um, so my sister and I we come from the same parents. Um, we, we and then at about nine, ten years old, my parents got divorced and my mom got remarried very soon after, had my brother and uh and then once my brother came along it was I I don't know. There was just a shift in the family dynamic. Um, you know, my stepdad was very, this is my son. I love him, et cetera. And then my sister and I were just kind of left to the side. So my sister and I, we had my mom and we love her. She's a great mom, but we very much fended for ourselves growing up. We did a lot around the house. I babysat 24 seven. Um, my stepdad ran his own business and I watched him do that growing up. Um, but it wasn't 100% legitimate there were some, I want to say shady things that he did. Even as a kid, I just knew that it wasn't 100% what you should do. And so kind of growing up, I just knew that I wanted to push myself to be the best person that I could be because I knew that I was better than the environment that I was around. And so I moved out at 17. I put myself through three years of college, got a full-time job in sales, did that for a couple of years, went back to school, got my degree in English, and then started my own company and made a point of having, having my hands in absolutely everything, learning as much as I could, and it being absolutely 100% legitimate everywhere. Um, and that stems from watching all the mistakes that my stepdad made growing up. Mm. So you, you learn from other people's mistakes
0: let me go back and peel peel some of the layers back on that first um where is your birth dad today
1: uh he is somewhere in kingston ontario he uh i he he actually he runs his own company as well i just realized that that's so funny um he runs a sheet metal company so he does all the furnaces and everything for hospitals and prisons and kingston has like 15 prisons so that's just that's a great place for him to be. Um, so that's where he is, uh, him and I, we haven't spoken in probably five years, five years. Probably that's, that's the last time we spoke. I, I got married two years ago. He wasn't there. We're just, we've just kind of separated and we live our lives and that's just how it goes.
0: Why do you think that is you haven't spoken in five years?
1: Um, I think the divorce when we, when I was younger, it, it hit him very hard. It was definitely one-sided. It was my mom who decided to leave. So I think he took it much harder and, um, you know he says that I remind him of my mom a lot so it's difficult for him etc so I think he's just decided that it's better for his mental health if he just goes off and does his own thing he has since remarried and he's happy and I'm I'm happy that he's happy but um, I think he's just decided that it's best for him to be off in his own life and do his own thing
0: as much as you know you said that 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 divorce was the doings of your mom. What what did she find wrong or wanted differently that that, that she ended that?
1: Oh, this is a great question actually. So my biological father is very old fashioned. He's very conservative. So he ran his business. He went out into the world and made money and she had to stay home with us. And she didn't want that. She decided that she wanted to have a life of her own, be able to have friends and have a job and all that kind of stuff. So she became very depressed when he was telling her she wasn't allowed to, that she had to stay home. And so she one day just decided that she had had enough and that she was going to grab us and go and make a life for herself. And, you know, she, so she left to pursue, you know, basically being a woman out in the world and having a job and being independent, which again, is something that has most likely contributed to what I do now.
0: And when, when that happened, you were nine or 10, you said, Mm -hmm. did you have um, ongoing relationship with your father or was it a clean break at that point?
1: No, it wasn't until I was probably 15 that I think we stopped Speaking as regularly and you know, my sister and I we would go to his house every other weekend That was the agreement and then you know, you start You're in high school and you want to do things with your friends So I stopped going as frequently and then we stopped talking and then he's a very introverted person So unless you reach out to him, you never hear from him. So it it just became that we would go a few months without talking and then we'd get together and it would be weird and then next thing you know it was a year or two and now it's been five years. So, hmm. yeah.
0: so 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 that sort of drifted into what it is today. And then you said that your mom's um, husband at that time, your mm-hmm. stepfather who gave you a half brother, that stepfather you said really didn't embrace the two of you hmm so yes, that's, yes that's yeah exactly. so how was that relationship
1: um so we actually don't speak today either um sh- so when we were living with him and you know my mom gave birth to my brother he's my brother's nine years younger than me so I was much older at that point um and I think it was just that my brother was new and he was a baby and it was exciting. And there were so many amazing firsts and things that could happen that my stepdad just became kind of consumed by that exciting time and forgot about my sister and I. And then, you know, it just kind of got to the point where you get a little bit older and you start wondering why that is and you start questioning things. And he's a, he's very much a, somebody who likes to control everything. So once you start questioning things and kind of, biting back a little bit, he really doesn't like that. So it just added more tension. And next thing you knew, I was, I ran away from home once when I was uh, probably 14, 15 years old again. And then, and then I met my husband when I was 16. And, um, you know, he's had some altercations with my stepfather as well. That's been, that's been rough. Um, And yeah, so our relationship has always had tension. I moved out at 17 and things got a little bit better, but now, again, like we don't speak. My mom left him as well. And she has since moved on to somebody wonderful, which is fantastic. But she had some stinkers over the years.
0: <laughs> and it, it seems like, from what I heard, you met your husband when you were 16. And it seems like you could have gone down a very different stereotypical path. With oh, So yeah. go ahead, yeah?
1: Yeah, I, I think about that. All the time, well, not all the time, but it's definitely something that comes to mind quite frequently. I just think about the path that I could have gone down because when I just before I met him, I remember that I was in with a very bad crowd. I was, you know, doing drugs. I remember drinking at school, which was ridiculous to think about it. I was just, I was not a good kid. I was sneaking out in the middle of the night to go do God knows what, and then I met. My husband at sixteen, and he was this punk kid who um, wore black and listened to heavy metal and he exposed me to this whole new group of people that were just so happy and were just loving life and he has a wonderful family, love his family so I think it really was him coming in and showing me all of these new things and exposing me to all these new people that really kind of pulled me out of this really bad path that I was going down and yeah, he definitely saved me a little bit there.
0: The St. Marie's in your yes, life. the
1: St. Marie's in my life. So,
0: <laughs> so now you are, you are 16 and um, out of this rougher lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, you're in high school, going to college. What do you have your eye on in college to do?
1: So I originally, I, well, I got into photography for quite some time, which I still do that today. It's more of a, more of a hobby, I guess. But um, I got into photography and I, we actually have this thing. I don't think, I don't think it's everywhere. I think it's specific to my school board, but what you can do is you can apply to be in a program for a semester at a different high school where they focus on one thing so i got into one about photography so all of your classes are about the history of photography photography this photography that etc etc and you get steeped in that and so i decided to pursue that so i moved away to college my boyfriend at the time which is my husband now we went to the same college i did photojournalism uh which is really good because i got to marry writing and photography which is great um and then yeah, so I did that for a couple of years. And then I did another year at a different college. And yeah, I've done, I've done a lot of schooling. There's, there's a lot of education in there.
0: <laughs> Going back to what must have been either in the back of your mind or on the forefront of your mind, looking towards your future, you mentioned that your your stepfather's business there was a little shady practice going on what specifically can we say was going on
1: well he uh well you know it's a lot of stuff was done for cash and things like that so you don't uh, you're not actually honest about everything that you make and it just everything was always so unorganized all the time he would have paperwork everywhere for weeks and i never understood that but um I remember my mom always saying that she was terrified that the government was going to find out that he was lying about what he was making and they would come take our house. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was, I just remember always that kind of stress around the home. So when I started my business, I was on the phone with the CRA multiple times trying to figure out how to be completely legitimate. But yes, it was very much a financial thing that he was dishonest about. And then the the lack of organization. I just couldn't wrap my head around how running a business could even be enjoyable if you ran it that way. So it's been a, a big point of mine to make sure that I run it in a way that I love, that makes me want to continue doing it, which I, which I love what I do. So yeah, it's all his mistakes have helped me. <laughs>
0: Such an interesting and valid point that it's the perspective you have and you could have gone running just like you found your husband at that right time and didn't go further down that path. Same thing here. You were around the environment of stress Mm -hmm. and um, all this fear. I mean, to have your mom tell you that, geez, I hope you know the government doesn't knock on our door one day and just kick us out because now it's their home. Um, that's, uh, pretty impressive for you to have become this person, which is what I mentioned at the top of the show. I'm, I was so intrigued and excited that you found your path and embraced your path. So after college, what was one of your first jobs that you dove into?
1: Mm. So one of the first jobs that I dove into was I worked for Rogers, which is a phone company here in Canada. Um, So I worked in one of their locations selling cell phones and cell phone plans and everything. So I did that for almost two years full time. I you know, I had my own place. I had my own car. I was paying my bills, and I was loving everything. Just being able to kind of do whatever I wanted. But at the end of the day, that wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I, I knew that. I and so I knew that I had to. I had to do something to be able to get myself out of that situation. So, of course, I decided to move to a new city, start another degree, and keep going.
0: <laughs> hmm. Incredible. What was um, what was the job where it was just let's say soul sucking for lack of a better phrase?
1: Okay, that was one that I got right out of university. So I did my degree and then I came out of that, and it was one of those jobs where they post a post it on a job board and they make it sound like the end all to be all of jobs. And, you know, somebody who's young and was looking for my first corporate job, you know, I was easily convinced that that's exactly what that was. So I went for the interview. The job board said that it was a, a mark a marketing promotions assistant, which to me sounds like you would be in marketing and you would be in an office and you would be Handling maybe advertising or something. I don't know what I thought it was, but I went in and it was this weird office that you could you could just tell that they might have just rented it, or if they had been renting it for a while, they did not care about what it looked like, which should have been my first red flag to run out of there screaming, but I I chose not to. And I went in and I, I got the job, and it turns out that you're literally standing in a department store. So Canadian Tire, Costco, things like that. So, Canadian Tire is like, I don't even know what you would compare it to. It's like a hardware store version of Walmart, I guess you would say. Um, You stand in that store trying to sell a specific kind of product that they've decided to make you sell that week. And for me, it was these pillows. So, I sold pillows for about two months and it was the worst time of my life. I think I cried during work. Every day after work, it was the worst job I've ever had. They should be reported to the government as mistreating their employees. Oh my gosh, I cannot even explain how horrible it was. Um, And then I was recruited to my first corporate job. So...
0: I think we can all relate to that job or in some yeah. cases, those jobs that become the crying job. We've all been there, right? Whether it's like on the way to, at the job or in the bathroom, you know, on the, gosh, we've oh. all had those jobs, that, that crying job where you're just confused <laughs> as to how you allowed yourself to get there. And I think that's all the emotion yeah. around it.
1: It's like you just convinced yourself to overlook all of these red flags and you just thought, no, 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 it'll get better. No, 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 it'll get better. I just have to get past this part. I just have to get past this part. Uh, No, no. If you see these red flags, they're popping up for a reason. You have to listen to your brain when it says, this is not right. You should run because normally you should. So, yeah. yeah.
0: But um I'm I'm guessing the reason we don't is because all other circumstances in that moment around that time this is still we convince ourselves the better option like no, at least I'm employed. No, at least I'm taking action. No, at least I'm doing something.
1: Yeah, I would I would say that's accurate. You know, fresh out of university, you just think I need to get a full-time job. I need to I need to be an adult. You just that—that's how you feel as soon as you're done school. You're, you go, okay, this is over. Uh, I've put so much time and effort into my education. I have to have something to show for it. So you reach for anything you can with a fancy job title, and you think it's going to be amazing, and then you end up crying in the bathroom every day. So,
0: right, yeah. and putting on a suit and a tie that is two sizes too big when you don't even know how to make the tie and the tie isn't even in style anymore and your socks don't even match and you really have no idea what matches with socks anyway because you're not dressed like yourself because you never were a suit person but now you found a job that says you got to wear a suit so you find one that is probably 12 years old and you put it on and cry in the bathroom right?
1: Yep yep that's exactly it you end up wearing white socks with black shoes so yeah,
0: and that's the least of your problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, so that was my soul sucking job. Yes, absolutely.
0: Mm. Mm. And um, is that where also you felt being taken advantage of?
1: I mean, yes and no. I mean, that's not the that's not the last time that I felt that way. I definitely felt taken advantage of at that job, but it was more. Uh, everybody there was very young and new to the industry or just new to working in general. So it was just very poorly managed. So I really can't, looking back on it now, I don't think I could have expected anything more from them just because of the kind of environment it was in general. Um, It was more being taken advantage of in the corporate world. That was more where I was shocked by the amount of time that I felt like this, this just isn't right. I shouldn't be treated this way. That's where I think I was more surprised and it hit, it hit harder in my opinion.
0: What were you, what was your position when you were in that job that you felt, oh, I shouldn't be treated this way? What were you doing?
1: So I was recruited from that soul sucking job to work for a recruiting company and they created a role for me where I would interview all of the candidates that they wanted to put in front of their clients. And it was my job to decide whether or not they were good enough, which to me, I was severely underqualified to do that, but I did it. And I became very good at it. (laughs) I think they just liked my writing background and my ability to communicate. They just said, that's all you need. So let's see how you do. So that's what I did for about 10 months and I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. I loved being able to talk to leaders in their, leaders in the industries that they were in. Um, I was talking to company CEOs that were making, you know, half a million dollars a year and here I am, this 23 year old kid, not really knowing anything. And yet that was, that was great. I loved doing that. I was, and then I was promoted after 10 months, I was promoted onto their marketing team. And I was in charge of all the content, all of the email campaigns, all the advertising. I was in charge of a lot. And, you know, I was given a $2 million target. It was just insane what I was handed. And I remember my, uh, my boss looking at me and saying, you know, this is the time, this is the time that you give 150% all the time. And I said, well, why now like obviously i do that i do that all the time i'm the first one in the office every day i work on my lunch i you know i do everything and he goes well you don't have kids yet so you should just be able to give as much time as need as is needed and i say i'm sorry hold on a second because i don't have kids i i shouldn't be able to have a life outside of work that doesn't make sense to me and so they preached work life balance but they did not practice it and then you know it was just, you were expected to be in, you know, before anybody else, you're expected to leave last. If you took vacation, you got the stink eye. It was just your life revolved around this place, but they told you that it, they, they roped you in with such high, amazing things. And I just, I I just remember being there after about a year and I just thought this is, this, I rem- this isn't what I signed up for anymore. This is different. There was a switch that happened in the company. And I, you know, you just start feeling like what, your you're 150% is never enough. It's never enough. And then you have to give 200% and next thing you know, you don't have anything else to give, but they still expect more. That's, that's what I started to feel. And yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. So
0: was there a time or many times where you would just come home, maybe break down and say, one day I'm going to open my own business. Was that always in the forefront of your mind or was it just a click and a snap one day to do that?
1: I think it occurred to me once or twice. Um, I'm going to say probably in my last four or five months that I was there when I was, when I had acquired a couple new clients of my own and I thought that I had gotten it to a place where I could dedicate, if I dedicated more time, I could turn it into something fantastic. I've never been somebody that just jumps. I I, I can't. It's just not in my, it's, it's not in my makeup. I've always been a firm believer where if you want to start something, don't quit your day job. Please don't do that. That's not, you need money to be able to fund your new business versus getting yourself into debt. But to each their own. But yes, there was a couple of times where I thought to myself, I feel like A, I could do this better. I could run a company better than these people because I know what it's like to be on the crappy end of things and I know how to treat people. And then also I thought I had gotten my business to a point where if I dedicated more time, I could turn it into that amazing thing that would give me the life that I want. And I remember sitting down with my husband and talking about it and he said, you know what? I support you. Like whatever you want to do, like you you do it. He goes, you know, I know when you put your mind to something, you make it happen. <laughs> so uh, there, yes, there was a point. And then when I got, when I walked in and then I was walked out, I, I was shocked, but it was a blessing in disguise in my opinion.
0: Mm, I love how you put it that, you're, you're at a point where you're looking and saying, you know, I can do this better. I can do this and I can do it better, much more effectively, a whole lot stress and for myself. Um, I've had that thought many times throughout my life. And the thing that prevented me from actually taking action and putting that into knowing full well, telling myself, feeling it over and over again, you know what, you're, you could do this so much better. I, I, I would just cringe with how much I believed that. But the thing that stopped me was utter fear. How did that play out in your world?
1: Well, um, stemming from growing up, finances have always been the largest stressor in my life. I find it very stressful not having enough money or having too much of it. There, There is no point where money is not stressful for me and it's something that I've had to work on for years and years and it's obviously caused many arguments between me and my husband but that was a big thing for me was okay I it's just me now I and but I really tried to keep the mentality of I can make as much money as I want this is my company if I want more all I have to do is go out and find somebody to work with but I I I just I almost looked at it like It was easy, even though it's not, of course it's not, but I just kept the mentality that I had 100% control over what I made and what my life looked like instead of having another company control what my day looked like and what kind of money I got, what what kind of money I had access to. I just really tried to shut that fear up by saying, I have all the control in the world. This is... This is, this is my thing. This is my company. If I want to make more money, if I want to take the day off, then I get to do that. So I just chose to focus more on the fact that I no longer rely on anybody else. I am a bit of a control freak. So it was almost like a sense of relief that I now control everything. So that's how I was able to overcome that fear. And plus, I just, I didn't have another option. It was now... This is all you. you. You do it. And I work best under pressure. If I have too much time to do something, it doesn't get done. Give me something that I have an hour to do and I'll get it done.
0: So That is Parkinson's law, actually. <laughs> um, I love that concept. Uh, if you're not aware of what Parkinson's law is, look it up. It's exactly that. In, in other words, we take uh, as much resource as we're given to accomplish anything. So if we're given a week to do something, we're going to take every bit of that week to get it done. If we're given an hour to do something, we're going to get it done in the hour.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. You know, I'll have a client call me and say, Oh crap, I forgot about this event. I really need you to put this, 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 and this together to, to get this out. And it's just, it's done. It's done. It's done. Not a big deal. But if I have a week to do something, you know, four days go by and I go, Oh, I still have to do this. You know, it's just, it's, Oh yeah. Can't, can't do it. Pressure all the way. I work so good under pressure.
0: <laughs> what, what mantra do you live by today? In what way? That's a, that's a guiding principle or phrase or saying that colors everything about you. Oh, uh,
1: oh, you know what? I'm also a weirdo. I, um, I, I live and breathe by my bullet journal. That's how I organize my life. And every once in a while, I will just write down, don't stress, you're doing great. <laughs> that's that's it. That's, that's it. Don't stress, you're doing great. Done. Love it. I, that might sound strange, but I'm I'm just such a high stress person. I worry about everything. I'm worst case scenario all the time. And I think that prepares me for a lot more, but... I I just have to remind myself of how far I've come and what I've accomplished and that I'm doing amazing because I hear about other writers and other quote unquote freelancers, which I don't consider myself that, but a lot of people consider me a freelancer who struggle and say, you know, if I didn't have my student loans, I wouldn't be able to pay my bills and you know, it, all these things. And I just, I've, I've never had to say that. So I think I've, I just have to remind myself, like, why are you stressing you're doing so great. Just, just think of how much you've done. So it's just almost a self-reflection kind of situation.
0: It's interesting because uh, on one hand you said that you are a stressor. You acknowledged that and that you you are a worst case kind of girl. But it seems like, it, it almost seems like that came to me as a surprise. Maybe your mantra is absolutely working for you and you're not stressing. Well, b- because the whole vibe I've gotten here is that you're kind of calm, cool, and collected. And you got it all figured out. But in words you're saying somewhat of the opposite that you're stressed or, or high strung.
1: Wow. I feel like I'm in a therapy session. Maybe I need to look back on myself a little bit, but maybe I I've gone through my whole life, such a high stress person. And then when I decided that I was going to take this leap and really dive into my business and count on myself and do my own thing, I feel as if, there are less stressors, so maybe it's not that I'm not a stressful person. Maybe it's that I have less of my stress triggers. So other people getting upset with me, or you know, putting in a piece of work and just knowing that my boss is not going to like it, or or something like that. Um, having to report to somebody, I've always really struggled with that. Not because I have issues with authority or anything like that, but I just always feel like that person believes they can do it better, which that's the kind of management that I've always had. So I just always found reporting to somebody very stressful. And now that I'm my own boss, I report to myself. I hold myself accountable and I Go above and beyond for my clients. I, you know, and I, I think that's why I've been able to do so well is because of the kind of person that I am. Um, but yes, I think there are just less stressors in my life that make me less stressed in general. But if I were tossed back into a corporate environment in an office where I was reporting to somebody on a regular basis, I think that I would get back to that really stressed person that brought that stuff home and, you know, just made it really awful for everybody.
0: There's something similar I can see in you that I value, and you said it earlier, the word, and you just referred to it. Something you value, like I always have, is collaboration. Mm -hmm. That's what you want, that's how you work, and that's what you value. I, too, since my acting and filmmaking days, looking back on it, that is the thing that I valued most, because all performance and all writing, directing, producing, acting, creating – all of it, it's not done by one person. It's done in collaboration of many and you need all of those pieces to create that successfully. And I'm I'm hearing that for you too, that in your writing world, you even said it earlier, you collaborate with the client Mm -hmm. to make the product.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I much prefer a relationship when we're on an even playing field. I know that I'm the contractor and you're the client. And obviously there's kind of a, you know, I'm mildly reporting to you, but not, not in the same way. So, you know, there is a, we're in this together. We're working on this together, that collaboration, that I value you and you value me kind of thing. Whereas when you're reporting to somebody, they delegate and they tell you what to do and they criticize and you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Nobody takes criticism perfectly. Let's, let's just be honest with yourself. You, you, you can't take criticism a hundred percent perfectly all the time. So Yeah, it's, I'm much more of a collaborative person. And again, I, you know, every manager is different. I've definitely come across some managers that are really great at what they do, but it's because they look at their employees as, you know, their equals. They don't look at them as you're an employee, you are my coworker. It's it's very different. It's a different mentality that not a lot of people have these days. So yeah, that's, So that's a stressor for me, definitely not being looked at as an equal because I know that I bring
0: a lot to the table. So Mm. I, I really like hearing that, uh, that hits home because that was my issue for, for many, many years, knowing full well that God, you, you, you could be doing this. Why aren't you doing it? What, well, do you believe everything happens for a reason?
1: I don't know if everything happens for a reason, but I think there is a reason for everything. I uh, to me that just sounds different, but maybe it's the same thing. Um, but I, I think that, I, I think that. This pushed me. This this whole experience with me being, you know, walked in and then walked out, which still to this day I can't wrap my head around. I can't wrap. I got so many emails from the employees at that place saying, "I can't believe this happened. What does that mean for me? Because you were promoted and you were the best employee that they have, and yet this is what happened to you." So, um, this company has since I think lost eight or nine people since March because of me leaving. Um, but I just think that this was my push so this was me you know not having to make the decision myself because i'm not a just take the leap person i am a calculated you know kind of individual so they this whole situation pushed me to have to take the leap so i don't think that it's a universe kind of thing but i think that there was a reason for my whole situation coming to what it did and me now being able to say that I run my own company and no, I didn't just take the leap and, and start it. I had already kind of cultivated it and turned it into something before I did that. So there was just kind of that push that I needed and would I have taken it otherwise? I really, I couldn't say, I I couldn't say if, if that hadn't happened, would I, would I have started my own company? I don't know. That's, that's something that I, couldn't say. And I, at least not confidently, I don't think I can say that.
0: Are you spiritual or religious in any ways?
1: No, I was, I was baptized as a kid, but we weren't raised that way. My husband comes from a a Catholic family, but he's not religious either. We're just very go with the flow, you know, to each their own, I guess.
0: (laughs) What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end?
1: So I've actually had extensive conversations with a friend of mine. Her family is very religious and she's not. So my belief is that there could be something. There could be something where we get to go and see our family or, you know, it's our dream life or that wonderful island that we've always wanted to live on. We basically just, we go to paradise. That would be wonderful. I would love to believe that. But on the other hand, if there's nothing this is this sounds terrible but how would you know people are terrified of that but you wouldn't know either way it would just be over and so you know what I'm I'm not scared of that it's just it is what it is you know if there's something awesome if there isn't I wouldn't know either way I wouldn't know
0: it almost seems like a win-win for you
1: I guess I mean, I don't think dying is winning, but you know.
0: <laughs> well, well, I don't mean that much. I mean, the uh, the other side of that.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just, it sounds so morbid, but I, yeah, if if there's something amazing, I, I hope it's wonderful. I hope I get to see dogs from my childhood, you know, all that fun stuff. But if there isn't anything, I wouldn't know any different. It would, it would just, it would, that would just be it.
0: Mm. Very, very evolved. I love every minute of it. I will leave you with this final question. Samantha (laughs) St. Marie, how would you like to be remembered?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, I would like to be remembered as somebody who was able to help people learn things that they didn't know before that's one of my favorite things about my job is when people come to me with wanting to do marketing or wanting to write that book or whatever it may be. They remember me as teaching them something. Um, I've never wanted to be a teacher. Let's not get that confused. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I want to be remembered as somebody that just lived my life the way that I wanted to live it. I don't, I don't want to be remembered as somebody who invented something or who, you know, The the entire world is going to know I don't need that. I just want to be remembered as somebody who lived my life the way that I wanted to live it. Nobody told me that I couldn't do something, that I went and traveled and saw the places that I wanted to see, that I uh, loved uncontrollably. I, I just want to be remembered as somebody that was fun and thought for themselves every day.
0: Well, you certainly seem right on that track. So if you keep that up, I believe you're already there. I want to thank you, uh, Samantha, seriously, for opening up and sharing all of that with us. This has been even better than I could have hoped for or expected. Thank you for spending your time today.
1: Oh, no, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. And I'm, I'm happy that we got to dive into some nitty gritty details.
0: Absolutely. And I hope everybody listening liked one or two of those nitty gritty details, and it might've motivated you, inspired you, sparked something in you to take action. That's the point of it all. Don't just keep it inside, get it out, do something extraordinary with it. And you we will see the results you're looking for. So there you have it. I want to thank each and every one of you for spending your time tuning in today. You know we're going to do it again real soon. Until we do, go get them.